This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pre-Game Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Nope. All right. Hello. I guess we're back. Welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Uh, Brian Fulford, AD Drew. Drew, I don't know. I Something going on in the background. Put, get me out of there so I can see, so I can see everybody here. Because I'm still in, the, still in the background. All right. There we go. Beautiful. Okay. Ready to Take go. Let's button. do it live. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it live. Uh, Brian and AD here, joined by Kelvin Carter. Kelvin, how you doing this evening? Hey, doing great, guys. Uh, couldn't couldn't ask for a better weekend. Great weather here in St. Louis. So, uh, without a classic, of course, but it, it you know all. Of that. <laughs> well, yeah, we should yeah, be at the sure. dome, my brother, and I should, you know, I should have flown in this morning and should be looking to fly out tomorrow morning. But we're gonna save that for a little bit later on in the conversation. Yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, uh, I heard there was some sort of thing that was supposed to happen there but anyway we'll talk about that in just a moment but uh we got to talk about this big matchup uh in the uh swack west between uh southern and alcorn of course alcorn was sitting on top of the west division unbeaten southern had won uh what two in a row in dominating fashion actually uh leading i think two or three maybe two, two, had won two. And all of a sudden, the people who had jumped off a bridge were swimming, climbing themselves back up on top of the bridge. And Southern fans were feeling real good after the last couple of weeks. And uh, Not hard to find a, a bridge when game. you're in New Orleans, Brian. Huh? Not hard to find a bridge in New Orleans. I mean, in uh, Baton well, Rouge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there on the well, Mississippi. Look, hey, Not too hard. <laughs> Yeah, so Southern uh, Southern hosted this contest. Really, you had the, most of the production in the first uh, offensive production. Really, in the first half, um, you know, Southern jumped out to a fourteen nothing lead uh, in the uh, into the early parts of the second quarter before 
Alcorn answered. Uh, Southern retook a lead uh, with about 521 to go to take a 21-7 lead on a pass from Bashawn McCray. Uh, Alcorn did a great job of answering with about a minute 33 left. So you had 35 points in the first half. And and so, uh, Kelvin, how do you how do you look at and analyze what you saw from the first half? 26,900 in attendance. Great crowd there at uh, Southern University at A.W. Mumford. Yeah, um, really, really good showing by the Braves in terms of certain mechanics, but in, with the offense, um, Southern scored first, of course, at seven, and then both teams scored two touchdowns in the second quarter, and then both scoreless in the third, and then Alcorn came up with a, you know, what was a field goal in the fourth quarter. What I saw was what I alluded to earlier um, in one of our earlier broadcasts was around not being able to get the ball vertical. You know, we were able to do what we desired to do in terms of, you know, running the football, which we did well. You know, those are the things that, you know, we hang our hats on being able to run the football. But we just were not able to put together, you know, the the string of the consistency around the play call. And I, and I think that's something that we, we have to address uh, coming into homecoming next week. And we got Texas Southern. So I, I think that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, as you look at this, I mean, I kind of consider this, you know, uh, two of the top three teams in the West. I think that's, I mean, you know, with respect to Texas Southern, I mean, I, yeah, well, Prairie View being the third, uh, this, this sort of matched up and looked like a heavyweight fight, you know, um, and, and I hate to use that pun giving, what happened uh, with Southern. And, and let me ask that point uh, to you, Kelvin. Are you disappointed to some degree that the SWAC did not make a decision to rule on the pregame incident involving Southern and Prairie View? Because literally there could be, a, there should be probably a dozen Southern players that should be suspended at least a game. Well, I think with that, though, that the SWAC office had to do their due diligence. I believe if it would have happened with players in uniform, then it would have been a better outcome. I mean, a, a more swift action. But the SWAC office actually gave them the opportunity to what we call self-discipline on this component. So, But as they begin to look into it. So I feel like two and one, Southern's three and one, if there's going to be a decision, it's going to have adverse ramifications down the line. So we'll still um, be able to see what could have happened. I'm glad we played Southern in full force to see what we were, you know, what where we stood in the whole deal. So I'm still looking forward to the way that this plays out because we still have Prairie View and we've um, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I still say and I hold to it that on November 19th we will potentially beat those guys from 1400 Lynch street and um, have be set up for a back-to-back matchup for the swag championship. Okay. Um, Drew, I, I know Drew. Uh, all right. Well, let me, let me finish sort of just a quick recap here. Obviously there wasn't much in terms of way of scoring in the second half. Uh, Southern's defense uh, only gave up a field goal. Alcorn didn't give up any points. So, I mean, 
will will qualify the second half uh, as a defensive battle. How would you how would you categorize what you saw in the second half, Kelvin? Uh, a lot of inconsistency, especially from the Braves, um, especially from the play calling, uh, not getting a good rhythm, not getting the guys off, you know, getting the team off balance. And what I saw in Valley at Valley, and I will say this, Valley does a tremendous job in the, in the scenario that in the, in the, with the cards that they're dealt. But I have not seen that consistency from our offensive side of the ball. And our quarterback, you know, struggled a little bit throwing the, throwing the vertical routes. And But as we begin to get stronger with running the football, I believe that this is going to come down to, especially as it gets colder um, and it doesn't get cold too late, where we'll be able to see the Braves. If we can get our play calling or if all can get their play calling adjusted, I think that will put us in a scenario to where we can truly show who we are. Running the ball is not our issue. <laughs> you know, we got a guy that's really is a, is a really great, you know, addition to the Braves camp. But I just think that what I saw out of them was a staunch defense against Southern. And if we had to play them again, which we don't, um, I believe that that would be a scenario where we, you know, we could, you know, we could prevail. But this was not a blowout by any means. I mean, like you said, three point, we didn't give up any points. So the defense made a great adjustment too to kind of slow down Southern, but the offensively, the play calling, you know, the, the inability to sustain drives, that's really where we got caught in the second half. Yeah, yeah and I mean, Alcorn had a had a 14-play drive that ended in a uh, missed field goal, um, did come back on the next drive uh, with a 12-play 67-yard drive and did end up you know, with a field goal. So, um you know, I, I guess those are the those are those opportunities when you look at it that that's as close as Alcorn really got to scoring against Alcorn right. and came away with with three points. So I mean, credit credit to Southern's D. I mean, they you know they stepped up when they when they had to. Um, when I was just looking at here at the total the total numbers, um, when you look at the total yardage. Uh, it was what was it, 370 for Southern, 325 for Alcorn. Um, you know, time of possession, 30. I think Alcorn, or no, yeah, Alcorn had the time of possession, 3302 to 2658. And, um, you know, that's both teams had an interception. Uh, so, I mean, you, you just had, you just had a, a classic, very similar, Drew, to kind of, what we had over there in Albany State, you had a you had a top matchup between two very good teams. Opportunities, missed opportunities here and there, and you know it just it just kind of hurts you. I mean, even though Southern committed ten penalties, didn't come back to bite them in the tail. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Ten penalties and, and Brian, I was gonna say, Brian, isn't it great that the three games that everyone pretty much tab as the game of the week in HBCU football actually lived up to the hype. No matter which side of it that your team came on, all three games lived up to it. Southern Alcorn, uh, Albany State Benedict, and Virginia Union, who we state. All three of them lived up to the uh, to the bill. All within a touchdown. All within six points. Uh, so, yeah, Exactly. Uh, they all they all lived up to the height, so that's why I said that this was the first really good weekend of college football, and I, I say that just in general. I think we had some exciting games, not only at our level, but 
and and both D2 FCS, but even when you go up to FBS, you had some exciting games up there. And so you're starting to see the pressure cooker get turned on for a lot of teams. Let's uh, let's quickly move through the SWAC, and then we'll kind of bring them to the, the game that was postponed from St. Louis to um, uh, to uh, Pine Bluff, and that took place today. Um, I'll try to pull up my – see if I can quickly find my – Yeah, it was 34-31. Yeah, 34-31. It looked pretty even. The rushing the rushing attack was, you know, 294. Which hold on, yeah, hold on. Alabama. Which one are you, which one are you, are you Okay, hold on. Let's 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 list the rest of Saturdays because no one's gonna want to talk about that once we get into all the stuff that went surrounding with that. So <laughs> yeah. Uh quick uh, Alabama State 24 to 9 over Valley. Uh FAMU 20 to 16. Over Grambling, Drew. I didn't even know this. Stop, I didn't stop right this. there. Yeah. Stop right there. Yeah. Fans, you should have lost that game. Yes. Fans, got. Fans, you should have lost that game. No doubt. Grambling last drive against Florida A and M should have. They. I was scared. I was watching. I had it on in the car. I'm not supposed to say that, but I had it on the phone in the car uh, <laughs> while we while we were driving to the restaurant that we were driving to. That uh, ironically to beat you over at the restaurant, but uh, the the o, the OPI that they called against Grambling. I don't remember who the receiver was. Was a questionable call. As a rattler, I am happy that the referee threw the flag, but. As an official, it, it was 50-50 at best. And usually, unless it's egregious and you definitely see the separation and the push-off, they tell you to swallow your your flag, especially at that point in the game, because you don't want the game to be turned on an official's call. You want the players to make plays. So, But that last drive was kind of uh, back and forth. Penalties and mistakes by Gramlin. Then grab to get back up. If fam, you commit a super penalty. So it was a very interesting drive. And, uh, you know, fam, you had the opportunity to run out the clock, and they just could not. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned penalties. Uh, that, that's all I can think of when I think about that game, penalties and special teams. Uh, again, fam, you probably – and I got to go check into this. I'll probably look into this for Wednesday. I feel like they're setting records right now for penalties. 14 for 172. This past weekend, that follows up the 15 for 151 against South Carolina State. Uh, very uncharacteristic for Willie Simmons' team, but uh, and, 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 and the penalties that Florida, I would say, the penalties that Florida ADL was committing were first down penalties. And what I mean by that, on third down, when the defense has done something, they, they the defense would commit a penalty that would give Grambling a first down, or vice versa. When the offense has made a big play that has garnered them a first down, then you would have a hold or something else that would nullify that first down, and then the drive would stop on offense. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, the, there's more that um, we'll get into talking about that game. You guys, anybody watching us, make sure to come check us on Wednesday night. Uh, ONG Strike Zone, 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk about this Grambling game. Uh, but FAMU survived, and they won their fifth consecutive game. Gra- I didn't even know Grambling had the G's back on their helmet. You said that. Uh, I, I, I'm so used to not seeing them, I didn't even see them. But you said they were on yeah. the helmets, though. They were, they were on sure the helmets. about that. 
Okay. Yes, I All saw right. Him. Well, I, I, I watched the replay today on uh, the Rio. That's good. It was their first home game, so I think I, I I'd be willing to bet that Hugh got some calls from a few people and like, come on, Hugh, let the guys put the sticker on. It's the first home game of the year. You know, do right, do right by these kids because that whole not putting them on was the dumbest anyway. Uh, so. Uh, let me see. What else What else did we have in the SWAT uh, from Saturday? Oh, yeah. This little game that happened over in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Uh, Jackson State rolled in and taking on Bethune-Cookman, who had to move the game from out of uh, Daytona Beach because of – initially because of bike week that's happening, bike weekend, October, Biketoberfest. But then because of Hurricane Ian and what it's – displaced and shut down the campus. So they had to play this game in Jacksonville. Uh, 22,373. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Chicken wing dinner. Winner, winner. Literally. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you, EA, for owning up uh, as we covered. I covered by about 5,000 people, I think, Drew. uh, (laughs) 17,000. So, but but that was the only thing that was won by a Floridian as uh, Jackson State controlled that doggone game. Uh, uh, ran 39 nothing lead. Shadour Sanders uh, doing what he does. I think he threw, I think I wrote it down, five touchdown passes. He did throw two interceptions um, as uh, Jackson State held Bethune to 166 total yards, seven sacks, two fumble recoveries. Uh, just I, you know, while we were looking up stats, and I'll I'll say this and get out of the way. Anybody want to comment on it? Jackson State's defense. Just in case you want to say, hey, was, how dominant is this defense? Well, the number one in scoring defense, nine point five. They're number one in third down uh, conversion efficiency, point two one two. They're number one in first downs allowed, just sixty eight total. Uh, this is a team that has played six games. So you're talking, what, 11 first downs a game is all they're giving up on average. Uh, number one in total defensive yards. This is the crazy stat. 180.8 yards per game allowed. That is 60 yards difference between the number two team in total defense yards per game. I've heard Neely on the pregame show talk about, ooh, which, let's see, pay attention. There's a, what a, and Drew, I know you do producing. Which defensive year does he talk and compare this defense to? It's like 1970-something. Do you recall? No? Did I lose you? Uh, yeah, there's a, one of those years that uh, Neely on the pregame show always talks about. And so, oh, well, you, you have your heads. Anyway, why am I? I'm talking, well, Kelvin. I'm just talking to hear myself talk. Go ahead, no, Kelvin. Any, no, any thoughts no, that, Well, I, I watched the game, studied it. And, and the, I'll tell you what I saw was an area that Coach Prime said that he was going to address. And they these announcers were really good on this game. That state of pain averages right around they're about 640. And it was a this is the first time that I saw the noticeable difference between 
that front line and, you know, looking at Bethune Cookman. And when they talked about the disparities in that, and then also too, you must remember that, that, that defense is leveraged and loaded with some really good points first. And the kid Aubrey Miller is from, uh, from Germantown right outside of Memphis, but he was originally a university of Missouri signee as well as he's got a Florida state kid that's coming in. as about to play Shiloh on Saturday. You, you're doing what you need to do by having these type players on the field for you. And, and I'll be honest with you, they're pinning their ears back. They're loading the box. They're not allowing you an opportunity. The pressure was so heavy on the former Jackson State quarterback. It was unbelievable. So the fact that they managed to get 100 and, you know, 175 yards, 180 yards was even amazing based upon what I watched. Yeah. Um, Drew, you didn't happen to hear what I was saying, did you? about the uh, Jackson State defense that Neely's always comparing this team to? Uh, I did, but I didn't. Okay. Do you recall which year it was that he was referring to? It it was a year in the 80s. I don't remember which year it was uh, off the top of my head, Uh, but it was an 80-something defense that they uh, compared them to. All right. Well, look, I I told you after two weeks that this is – a historic defense. I already called that. I, I didn't even have to see all the stats and compare it to anything else. I just saw what they did. And then the two, I saw what they did to FAMU, us. And then I saw what they did the next week, Tennessee State. And I was like, yo, these cats are different. And they weren't even at full strength then. They're just now getting guys back healthy. Absolutely. So, I mean, great challenges upcoming. So, uh, you know, Put the put the chin straps on Southern Alcorn and uh, whoever else they got coming up because those are going to be some exciting games. All right, let's talk about the fiasco in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> Alabama A&M was scheduled to play UAPB uh, in in your guys' hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Then we get word. Uh, what what did that word come out? Was it third? Thursday night or morning? That was that would be Wednesday, Brian. That would be three days after I purchased my plane ticket. Yeah, well, you know it's funny, and I—I I mean, funny, not funny. I hate it for you, Drew, uh, because we we set and we've talked for the last month about whether this game was going to actually happen. There were so many slow moving parts that I was like, mm, I don't know if you should be taking a chance, Drew. I, you know, it, but okay, you want to go? Go ahead. But uh, yeah, so uh, where do we start? Where do we where where do we begin? Obviously, a lot of people will look to blame the promoter. Initially, the promoter tried to come out and say some things regarding uh, what he or what they weren't allowed yes. to do from the city perspective. <laughs> then you also had, and then quickly the city jumped out and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." And maybe not the city, but the uh, the folks from the uh, from the dome, uh, they jumped out. Yeah, St. Louis. So, yeah, so go ahead, Drew. Uh, you get jump in there with uh, your thoughts, and then Kelvin, you 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 jump in there. Well, and I'm, I'm gonna give out a little, little bit of background information. Uh, when the first of all, shout out to Bo Carter, WZDX out of Huntsville, Alabama. He was the person who first broke the story back in. I believe that was March when this game was announced uh, by Bo Carter. 
And in March, April, May, June, July, and into August, the only information that you could find on this game was the video and article that Bo Carter had written. That, that was clue number one that something was not going, going right. And the fact that Bo Carter works in Huntsville, covers Alabama A&M, who is the road team in this particular matchup, was putting out more information than the home team, UAPB, and the people in St. Louis, and the promoter, that should have put everybody on alert, which it did. Back in, I believe that was either August or September, uh, uh, you may remember when we talked about this, Kelvin. Uh, I contacted the people at the Dome when I saw that the game was not even on the master schedule at the Dome, on, uh, events at the Dome. If you have an event coming up within the next 90 days that you have been promoting, you would think that the venue that you had that you're having it at would have it on, on their calendar that they have on the website. But I I can understand they may not have updated their calendar. So I actually made a phone call and talked to a live person at the dome. We don't know what you think. We have nothing on this particular event. Red flag. And then red I believe flags. that's red flags. Red flag. And then I believe that's what Kelvin, who still lives in St. Louis and has some uh contacts in St. Louis uh that I don't have, contacted one of his people who worked at the who works at the dome and said they didn't have anything on their books for this event either. But then about two weeks later we finally get the press release. But you know what was fishy about the press release, Brian? Most times when you have events like this, there's a website that goes along with it. Website didn't come along to about a week after the press release. So people didn't know where to buy tickets from, how to buy tickets. If you wanted a suite, how to purchase a suite. Hell, if you wanted to advertise, how do you advertise or sponsor? None of that stuff was out there. No wonder... This was this was September. Mm, wow. Six weeks out. Four weeks out. No wonder you had poor ticket sales, which I don't believe were as poor as people thought. It may not have been the number that he wanted, but considering that you started your campaign four to six weeks before the event, yeah, you go you, you gonna have poor ticket sales. And Kelvin can uh, talk about this as far as the St. Louis community. I know there were different organizations that could have been reached out to that would have helped with uh, promoting the event, ticket sales, bringing kids to the event, uh, different corporations that uh, would have gone to the event. So, yeah, there are a lot of uh, this part. The last thing before I uh, turn it back over to Kelvin, from the Black College Sports Network side of it, uh, there, there, were con- there was a conversation about us possibly covering the event. I said a conversation, like one conversation. Because when we tried to follow up that conversation, as you do with these business ventures, we got no response. 
I reached back out to the publicist who I had talked to about three, four weeks prior, could not get a response. So the red flags were all over the place and I was stupid enough to steal buy a ticket to go in there because I wanted to support an event in my hometown because we had not had a classic there in probably what, five, six, seven years, uh, Kelvin, ever since the Gateway Classic went away when the original promoter yeah. of the Gateway Classic uh, passed away. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I th- I think one of the things that I I won't call it a red flag, but I did notice there were people that reached out about the classic to me. They were like, "Hey, you know anything about this?" Because I say connected to the you know the sports community, so I reached out to the sports commission, and they said we don't know anything about this game. And when I noticed it, it was an out of town promoter. This doesn't make it a bad thing, but in St. Louis, it's knit sports community. It is. A- a football crazed community and i think a week prior to this i sent ad the notification that memphis actually is moving their memphis mizzou game to the same venue because they're going to sell it out they're going to sell the dome out and ever since the rams left we have this this amazing you know dome that's sitting there so one of the things that the promoter did say was they were making an initiative to get black males to the game so they reached out and they claim that the, the promo piece on Ticketmaster is what kind of uh, deterred and or distorted how they were, you know, getting sales. But it was a smart move. On Sundays in St. Louis, Little League football, but the game is a, was going to be an amazing experience. And I will say this, the prime effect makes people in the Midwest, HBCU, I want to go see it. So there were more demographics that wanted to see the band the football game and the tailgate than just our demographic. So that was that's what I was sad about because I actually came back from Mississippi to meet Drew, and then I texted him and said they canceled it. Otherwise, I would still be in Jackson, which I'm headed back soon because we play homecoming next week. So um, I, I just think that we don't need a promoter for these types of events in a city like St. Louis. We have a great sports commission. They want to put this event on. They have the financing and the backing to be able to put this game on without a middleman. They can reach out to these universities to see if this is what they want to do. You know, and and we could use another show at another time to understand the mechanics of the Gateway Classic, which was amazing at the time, but it was just one that one of many classics that were running along with Circle City. That time has phased away. The opera, uh, opera, uh, operationalization piece of this is meant to be in the hands of those that do this all the time. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. It, that that period of time is dead. City Classic uh, did not have a game this year. I, this uh, between what happened at the Southern Heritage Classic, you don't have the event in uh, Atlanta anymore. Um, I mean, if you're a city now, you mentioned the Sports Commission in St. Louis. Do you feel like? they would want to have a game like this? Would they want to reach out to, let's just say it's UAPB and Alabama A&M, for example, or maybe UAPB and Tennessee State, who may be looking for a new kind of classic opportunity? Do you think that is something that they would want in the St. Louis market? Yes, they would. I mean, based upon our city leadership, uh, we have an African-American female mayor, a uh, proud member of Delta Sigma Theta, Hampton graduate. She, If she looked at it, she would give it to the right person in her administration and say, hey, let's work with the Sports Commission. 
Let's fill up our hotels. Let's make our downtown a beautiful space. We have the space for it because we have an XFL team, I believe, the St. Louis Battlehawks is here. So the Dome is always ready to go. And unlike other larger venues, they've kind of set it up to the way that they drape the seating off to where it really is a great looking environment for about 30,000 fans to come in, view the game, and enjoy St. Louis. That's, there's a reason why the University of Missouri moved their game from Columbia, Missouri to St. Louis to play the Memphis Tigers because they're going to put a, they, they might put 75,000 people in the dome with, with people coming on a four hour drive from Memphis to see the Missouri Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say Go one ahead. other thing I want everybody to understand, you know, when they talk about not making the payments and, and those things, this event did not have a title sponsor or from what I was able to see, did not have too many sponsors, not at the level that you would need for that upfront money. And then when you add in the slow ticket sales due to the poor marketing campaign, it's kind of understandable because folks, I want y'all to understand something. It takes a hundred thousand dollars plus to move a, a, a college football team and their band. To another city, when you talk about for one buses, school, hope, one, for one school, school, right? One per school, hundred thousand for per one school. school. Okay, yes. per school plus. So a total of two hundred thousand minimum plus minimum. minimum. Yes. Okay. Just to be minimum. clear. And, yes, and, and and then when you talk about moving the football team, the band, administration, support staff, hotels, bus. Uh, buses, bus drivers, meals, etc. Yeah, hundred hundred thousand dollars minimum. Why do you think that w- with these these teams, with these guarantees, you see these guarantees at the levels in which you do? Hell, even the Division Two teams are gonna spend seventy thousand dollars to move their team and their band. That's why they get a hundred thousand dollars for playing a. Uh, when Lane went to. UAPB. I guarantee you they got they got at least a hundred thousand dollars for their game. Why? Because seventy of them was going out the window just to, just to support the team. Fifty to seventy of them was going out the window. And you and if you're going that far, you want to be able to make some money also. Now for an Alabama A and M, it's a bit of a no brainer because they're going to incur most of that cost anyway, whether they go to St. Louis or whether they go to Pine Bluff to play the game. So the fact that they're able to play their game at a neutral site and get some revenue back on that game is a win for the road team. But for the home team, for us to take that game where we control everything, we get 100% of the profit to move it to a different city. Of course, with 100% of the profit, you have to you have to incur the cost, the stadium costs, uh, if you, especially if you don't own your own stadium like a Bethune-Cookman does. Uh, where they lease the stadium, you got to pay parking, you got to pay ticket takers, you got to pay concession people, you got to pay security and all that stuff. So they're all costs to having a game at home. So when you get to go to a neutral site, all you have to do is show up, get a check, and play. It can be a benefit and a win for both teams, assuming that the check gonna cash. And that's what the problem was. The two teams did not have confidence that the check was going to cash or even be able to be written. Right. And I think uh, I a, a good example is, is is Morehouse, the Morehouse game in New York. Good backing, good planning, 
but there's a strong appetite around these things around the country. And to be honest, Jackson could probably host a classic in Mississippi and do a win-win because of that appetite for what's going on across the South. But for New York to have almost 23,000 fans come out to watch, you know, the Morehouse game, that's a really good draw on an event that's just not one of their staple events that's going on there. But at the, but at a minimum, you have a situation where somebody understands the audience. You have that type of alumni base. And that is really where we are. St. Louis would have did great with the game. It's just the organizational structure of it was not right. I'm amazed that the schools would allow it to get to what? Less than a week. Four days. Four days. Four days. Four days. <laughs> I, I always feel. I always feel like with anything, and I'm like this with projects. And Drew, you know, off, you know, we we've talked about this in the past. There's sort of a a timeline, and say if I don't have A, B, and C in order by this date, there's no <laughs> way I'm moving forward. I mean, right. we might as well and- pull the plug. And be okay, even though you're like, oh, but we really want this to happen and we really want to make it happen. Sometimes you just have to say, you know, by 30 days out, by mid-September, September, today's the 16th, by September 15th, these schools should have said, if if we don't have A, B, and C, whatever feelings they had on Wednesday, they should have pulled the plug back in September. Yeah. The fact yeah. that you're waiting yeah. until October I, I don't that's questionable. I don't I don't understand there's no history unless I'm wrong here that what precipitated these schools giving an extra 4 weeks up until Wednesday to this promoter unless at least by at least by September 30th we should have had something out there I would say at, at a drop even that as your B deadline. You could have an A deadline and a B deadline whatever. But trust me, with any type of planning, project planning, whatever, if you don't meet your cert, if you don't meet the timeline by a certain mark, you got to move forward. You got to cut cut bait and keep moving. So I would I, I hope that uh, I mean, as embarrassing as it is, I'm sure for the city of St. Louis, it's also embarrassing. I'm sure at some point uh, for for the schools. I, I mean, I don't know they. They probably, I mean, just the fact that, hey, congrats to UAPB for being able to turn around and make this happen because I'm sure they had to, they had to work wonders to try to rearrange a lot of things to get staffing and people in place on two days notice when people probably already had plans that, oh, I'm off this weekend. Oh, I'm out of town. I'm gone. You know, and now, look, we, we know how that works. It's like, oh, you're calling me when? On what day? Oh, I'm, I got other things I'm doing. I'm out. So. Right. And, and, and Brian, the, the one thing that have, we have not talked about are the fans. And I'm not talking about the fans in St. Louis. Yes, the fans of St. Louis are disappointed, Kelvin, that the game did not occur. But what about the fans from out of town that were coming to St. Louis to enjoy the game. What about those group of fans who had bus trips to St. Louis to for this game? What about those who had non-refundable hotels that they paid for to come watch this game? What about those like me who had a flight that 
they paid for and had to pay a cancellation fee because they were there because they were uh, coming there. What about people who took actually took time off and were planning on bringing their kids there? And then let's flip this. What about the vendors in St. Louis, Kelvin? Somewhere you know the T-shirt man who had them shirts <laughs> that was going to be setting up down there on Jefferson, around the corner from the stadium on Seventh Street. That that is. I'm, I'm going to be a PG show that is upset that he done got all these t-shirts printed and can't sell them for a classic that he got to sell that, 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 that he stuck with. Those. What about, what about, what about the barbecue man? Somewhere. What about the barbecue man who was going to be sitting down there on, on, on cold street who, who can't sell their barbecue, but he already ordered all this meat. What about all those people over in the landing? Yeah. Who thought they were gonna get some overtime hours? Cause they, cause they knew all those restaurants and everything else were gonna be full. Well, one of, one of the things that was interesting though is that the St. Louis Public Schools had planned a, a a career fair because their offices are right up the street, and they had planned an actual tailgate. and And a few of their their personnel at, reached out to me. They said, "What do you think about this?" I said, "It's a good space to be in if you're looking for employees. You got people coming in." And you're, and you're right in the way because your office is right next door to the dome. So they had put a lot of energy and effort to it. And I began to see the uptick. So I, I just think we learned from this. I think we learned to take it, take the bull by the horns. I know the, and uh, Brian, you probably don't know this. The way that AD and I actually connected was his sister and I were talking about rebooting the Gateway Classic. And that's how he and I first began talking. AD and I were talking about this game and we have the right people here to do it enterprise is centered here edward jones is centered here these people desire to have these types of events yeah ab auto is not local anymore here uh bayer corporation so there's an appetite for it it popped up i said well ad somebody beat us to our idea but we know the mechanics of what it takes to make this happen so now we have to go now and look and say the planning needs to start now for next year if it's going to happen um, all right, let's uh, let's do this. Let's transition and let's kind of stay in in topic or sort of in the division here of uh, this space of the FCS uh, before we get into some of our midseason reports. I want to just kind of run down through some of the results from some of the other top ten teams that, that we didn't win, uh, of course. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of run through the top ten uh, as it was from the HBCU Pro Sports Media Association, their top 10 on the on the major uh, level, FCS level. Obviously, you know, Jackson State with the win. North Carolina Central, it, that game happened on Thursday, obviously. That was the Thursday night game that happened before uh, the weekend with a 59-20 win over Morgan State. Very surprised at how dating they were in that contest. I really thought... I was, you know, I, I shouldn't have been because one team was coming off a bye. The other team had just played. So I should have talked about red flags. That should have been a red flag to me uh, that uh, instead of thinking that, oh, Morgan can cover 16. Yeah, no. The 39 points is what the final outcome was. Davius, Richard, 530, uh, excuse me, no, four touchdowns. Passing, two rushing, 
Uh, Central, the first quarter actually was encouraging for Morgan, and then the second quarter happened. Uh, 28 points in the second quarter. That uh, was 42 to 13 at half. And before you knew it, Central uh, Central was gone to the races. Uh, next up is North uh, South Carolina State. That game, I don't know, guys. That game, that game might be the 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 golf in the South Carolina. State. Is it too soon for that? I'm, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, no. where are we at on the me? Oh, no, too soon. It's too soon. No, no, it's not too soon. Because okay. I mean, outside of that, the only other person who looks like they're going to be a player to be at is Delaware State. So, right. If it's not the game, it's the game next to the game. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So you had obviously tied for three. You had Alcorn and FAMU. We understand Alcorn lost. FAMU won. Southern was five. I, that. You know, on just performance level, I, I haven't even put my votes in yet, but I'm more likely to jump Southern over FAMU. I, I mean, let's just, I'm just being real. I mean, in terms of performance on a week to week or a week, two week span, uh, previews on a bye. Delaware it's State about is a team that. It's something about Southern schedule that just doesn't sit right with me. I, I know we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, with that. <laughs> well, but 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 no. Okay, look at look at their season. Here's here's what you got to do with Southern. I think you got to look at Southern's schedule in blocks. You had the first okay. block, right? That first oh, block where you had bad losing and you had bad losses, and then you beat up on a NAIA school, right? Well, no they started off that. beating up on an NAIA school. Yeah, they got so, slobbered the, the the next two weeks. Then yes. they had the bad loss at Prairie View. Right, right. Okay, so that's and, the, and, the and block, not, block one. That's the okay. end of block one. Now right. you go into this second block because they had a bye week, if I'm not mistaken, after that loss to Prairie View. Yes. Now yes, you go did. into this second block where they have now won three in a row. They sit in first place, and all of a sudden everything they, is right, and, right as right. And they got, another, they got another bye week next week as they play uh, Virginia Lynchburg. Yeah, so that'll be the end of the second block. And then you've got the third trimester coming up at the end of the season for Southern where it all comes into focus as to whether they are or not what we think they are. And all of you who hey, voted for Southern, you know. Hey, Brian, let's think about this. You've got Southern who will be coming off of Lynchburg going into Jackson. And you got Jackson who will be playing a – tough Campbell team before these two uh, meet. Does that does that sound like a recipe for... I wish I knew what I'm the just throwing it out there. Was. I'm I just throwing it out there. What do you think the look-ahead line... Actually, we could go to Massey and look now and kind of do some predictive analytics to say, I wonder what the look-ahead or what the predicted outcome is. I think the predicted outcome, I would, I would bet anything is less than a touchdown. Well, you just, keep talking. I'll punch yeah, it in. You, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, Delaware State is number seven. They uh, they just beat Norfolk State on homecoming, twenty eight seven. Don't look now, but Delaware State is four. The last time they were four and two was twenty twelve. It's their first. Now watch this, Kelvin. It's their first season. Oh, let me make sure I say this right. Their first. Conference opening, home, no, road win, 
and their first conference opening win since 2014. Two different things. I hope I hope that made sense. Not only just their first conference win, but also the first conference road. Two different things there. Since 2014. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, predictive score, 31-23 Jackson State. That's uh, mm. what's uh, that's uh, seven that's, uh, Jackson State Southern eight. Yeah, but what what is what is what do they say that what do they set that line? What's the difference there? What is that seven or six? Eight. That's eight. That's eight. Oh, I'm taking that's eight points. Okay, so if opportunity now, I'm down. taking Southern. If I had a chance now, I'd take Southern plus the points. Okay, because they're going to be coming off a bye, whereas Jackson State is coming off a unofficial bye. Yeah, unofficial bye, Lynchburg. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So they technically uh, unofficial not a bye. Uh, unofficial okay, bye with Lynchburg. You, you had me thinking they were actually <laughs> sitting at home not playing anybody. Oh, no, and they all, they, uh, they all going to be at home not playing anybody. Stop it. Kill me. Um, <laughs> cold, man. That's cold. Uh, let's see. Hampton. Hampton uh, was number eight. Got to give Hampton their due. Uh, they got their first win. In the CAA, it had to go into overtime, but they beat Albany University, thirty-eight to thirty-seven. Uh, they got four touchdown passes from Malcolm Mays, uh, Darren Butt, sixteen carries, one hundred twenty-four yards, and a touchdown. Jada Kiss Bond, seven catches, ninety-two yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, I guess we were wrong about Hampton going three and eight. As now, the worst they could do is four and seven. Drew, uh, do you think? Can Hampton get the five hundred? I think now, realistically, I gotta, I gotta wonder and realistically say, you know what, Hampton might be able to get five to six wins this year. Might. You said it right. They might, but I don't see six. Uh, I, I can see them sneaking up and getting a fifth win, but I definitely don't see six. All right. Um. Alabama State, of course, we mentioned they got a win over Valley. I think it was 24-9. North Carolina A&T beat up on Edward Waters, 45-7. Um, you know, so not not really much to talk about there. <clears throat> Other than the fact, you know, they pretty much dominated that game. Um, so, I, you know, kind of keep moving there. It'll be interesting to see how how people move in the uh in the rankings uh drew let's do this let's take a timeout come back and we've got to do mid-season reports in our top five anything else oh yeah we got a few other things too uh so let's get all that ready come back in two minutes you're watching the bcsn sports wrap we'll be back in just a moment It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. 
You see, Head & Shoulders has scalp shield technology, protects against flakes even between washes. It's never not working. Kind of like us. Number 15? Never not working. I don't like this one. Me neither. Let's get out of here. Head & Shoulders scalp shield, never not working. We're all about feeding your family with meat and plant-based protein that's good for the planet, good for you, and just plain good. That's all the protein you need, all on your plate. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. Follow the Black College Sports Network on social media at mybcsn1, the number one, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MyBCSN1. This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Knights of the Round Table, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. Season reports. Drew, hold on. Before we do that, though, you know, we did a little work in the background, Kelvin, before the show, a little pre-show stuff. Uh, here we get ready to talk about the halfway point of the season. We got to make note of five teams. I think it's five. Yeah, five teams that started out anywhere from 0-2 to 0-4. To and have put together some pretty nice streaks, and now actually, what? Who knows what the rest of their season, but they're trending in the right direction that their seasons uh, could end with possible golfs, maybe a conference championship, maybe even a conference title. Who knows? But let's kind of go through the teams that we wanted to mention here. As we before we get into uh, our midseason report, how about a pair of teams that started out the year 0-2 and have now find, found a way to win five consecutive games after this past Saturday? None other than the Tuskegee Golden Tigers and the Florida A&M University Rattlers. Both now five and, and, and two. Do they have a common? What do those two they, schools have in common, Brian? I don't know. You, Drew? Oh, no. Hold on. They are number <laughs> No, not other, other, besides you, 
besides you. I think, besides, I, I got degrees for both. <laughs> right. But I think they are number one and two in all-time mm-hmm. wins. Is that correct? Uh, no, uh, close. No, uh, no, both no, of them are top close. five, though. But, oh, okay. How about uh, Black College National Championships? No? Uh, that's a good no. question. I, know, I think Tuskegee has more. I was just talking about me, my brother. Oh, okay. So I was right. I was right. Okay. See, yeah. uh, see, you. I was right. I, I, I thought you were going with something else that we hadn't talked about. I, I was playing the guessing game. Uh, yeah. What's your take, uh, Kelvin, on uh, this run of late by FAMU and Tuskegee? And uh, does uh, does either team have real realistic opportunities to play postseason football? I think um, so. I think this family team is a little different than the one last year that lost to Jackson seven six. I believe to open the season. So although they might close this out in strong fashion, I don't think they get the opportunity to participate in the uh, in the playoffs. That's just my opinion of that team by watching them. So although they put this together. I don't know if they get that invite this year. I'm gonna take the opposite approach. Uh, if they if they went out the season, they will be nine and zero against FCS opponents. So mm-hmm. that will no, excuse me. They'll be eight and zero against FCS opponents because they have one win against the Division Two. So they'll be eight and zero against FCS opponents. Uh, what you have to do eight and one against FCS opponents. What FAMU needs to be doing is what I have not seen FAMU do, with the, which they did last year, is start the media campaign. Because they need to put Florida A&M on the mouths of everybody who's on that committee who may be making those decisions. Hey, our only FCS loss is to Jackson State. And look what Jackson State not only did to us, but is doing to everybody <laughs> as they are totally dominating everybody. If FAMU sells that to the committee, it's a tougher sale than it was last year. Hey, we only lost by one. Yeah, we got our asses kicked. But this team is kicking everybody's ass. So y'all need to put us, y'all need to at least consider us for spot number 23 or spot number 24. Let me tell you how I think FAMU could get in. One, Southern has to beat Jackson State when they play. That's one. And then two, FAMU has to beat Southern at home. Uh, I think because at that point, you may still very very much have Southern winning the West or at least in contention to win the West, but they would have knocked off the most powerful team in the SWAC. We beat team B. We are team C. We we lost the team B, but we beat beat team team B. Right. Yeah, so the, the, just like how you know the some people rated FAMU to win the uh, Black College National Championship last year because they beat the team that beat the team, and then they only lost by one to that team. Well, this time they could turn around and just you know we're not even going to talk about scores, but just turn around and say, well, we beat the team that just beat the team, and we've won every game since losing to that team. So we should, even if we got to go in as a 24 seed, which is the very last team in, we want to be in. 
Right. I, I, I but, I, but I think that I think there's a reason why you have not heard the campaigning, uh, and that's probably more so the from the, the all the stuff going on with administration. There's not a solid, uh, solid based and rooted campaign from an established administrator, you know, like previous. So I, I think that's the reason why you have not seen that from FAMU. Now, what about Tuskegee? Flipping over to Tuskegee, I mean, you know, we talked about shift of power with Union uh, taking over the North and Benedict taking over the uh, SIAC East. But in SIAC West, it's looking like it's going to be more of the same with Tuskegee once again being in contention to be the SIAC West representative. And, yeah, Tuskegee has been scoring some points, and they've been giving up a bunch of points, but – you get Coach Reginald Ruffin in a one-game scenario. I mean, I like what I've seen from Chennis Berry, but Reg- Reginald Ruffin has that pedigree. So you have to lean towards Tuskegee if Tuskegee and Benedict would happen to be the two representatives in the SIAC championship game. The only caveat to that is that game will be held in Columbia, South Carolina as the SIAC East champion in spite of record, we'll be the host this year. Okay, let me, while we're talking about an SIC West team, let me go to another SIC West team that started off far worse than Tuskegee. Kentucky State started off 0-4. But hey, look, look now. They've won three in a row. And actually, with their... Final schedule, they travel to Miles College, then they host Tuskegee, and then they have Central State. Uh, Kentucky State is a player in this whole thing now. I think they, at worst case, could have a showdown for the West Division against Tuskegee in a couple weeks. Any thoughts there, uh, Kelvin or Drew? I started off, and then I'll pass it to Kelvin. Uh, uh, Kentucky State does control their own destiny in the SIC West because they went out, they they win the West. And yes, the October 29th showdown in Frankfort, Kentucky could be for the West crown. It will be, it'll be won there because if either one of these teams come uh, win this week and go into that game uh, with a with wins, then it won't matter what happens the week after that. So the the SIEC is pretty, will be pretty much decided on October 29th with the win by both teams this week. And when you see this Kentucky State team with their – and I, I don't want to use the word Mickey Mouse offense because it's not a Mickey Mouse offense. It's an old-school offense. And you don't face it every day. And you're used to seeing spread offenses. It's hard to simulate what Kentucky State does to a team in practice. So that is the advantage that they have. And anybody, SIAC or anywhere else, needs to be aware of it. And if Kentucky State gets into postseason play, that offense is built for cold weather football. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Uh, do you want to add anything in there, Kelvin? 
No, I just I think um, what Drew is saying is that most teams do not see what Kentucky State does on the offensive side of the ball on a consistent basis. But I, I believe that, yeah, you're right. They're, they're built for that. And I will say this, is that you – that Tuskegee piece is interesting. They're going to play Lane in Whitehaven, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. That's going to be an interesting uh, turnout there. So it'll be jam-packed um, inside of that space. And uh, I could I could literally see almost Tuskegee almost closing this out um, without a blemish. We'll see how we'll see how that that goes. I'm gonna pick on you for a second, Drew. You mentioned uh, um, controlling your own destiny. Does Lane control their own destiny? Uh, no. Lane Lane needs some help because okay. even if they That's defeat Tuskegee, this. Even if they defeat Tuskegee this week, the fact that Kentucky State beat them head-to-head, Kentucky State has the head-to-head, so Kentucky State would still have to lose another game to give Lane a shot. Okay, that's that's what I wondered. That's what I wondered. Okay, here's another pair of teams that started out their season winless. Well, sort of winless, and, and follow me here, okay? One of them, <laughs> uh, one of them was Southern University. Now, when I say they started their season winless, they started their season winless against NCAA teams, 0-3. Now, in in the mix in there somewhere was a 88 to nothing win over an NAIA school. Okay, so if you want to catch me on semantics and particulars, okay. But against NCAA schools, they started off 0-3. <laughs> you know, the world is burning. What's going to happen? We don't have a quarterback. We don't have this. What's Dooley doing? Now look at Southern. Three wins in a row. Uh, the the post, I, I'll tell you, the exuberation and the excitement that they had after beating Alcorn speaks not only to that rivalry, but just where they were and where they're at. And so now... Uh, Kelvin, three wins in a row. It's a whole new world for Southern. Uh, Southern's chances, obviously, they, they, they have they have turned a 180 onto their season. What's your thought on the turnaround by the Jaguars? Um, I think it just speaks volumes as to how some of these early season schedules are constructed. Um, I don't know if we saw the true Southern early on. But now I think we get a real good look at the balance and power that they have on their offense as well as the defensive side. It was a strong victory for them against the Braves. They were on the road. And I think that was I think that game was actually going to be the home team was going to win that game. That's just my opinion. Um, so moving forward, I think Alcorn is still in a good space because they had they had won two in a row. Um, they're still in a good space, but they have to they're, they're going to need some help somewhere along the line. And so. Um, Grandma Southern's going to have to stay true, and I believe they'll get better as they go on. Dooley's got them well organized too. They played they played solid football on Saturday, so I I, I look for them to be you know highly highly competitive uh, coming down the stretch. Drew, you want to add anything on on Southern and uh, their turnaround, or, or save it for the report card? We'll save it for the report cards. You've already got my thoughts on this schedule, so. Yeah, just like and, and it's just not so the Delaware State's in that same category also. Uh, uh, 
uh, where we from, Kevin? We from the Show Me State, so I still need them to show me. <laughs> oh, man. And the last team, Alcorn State, uh, started out 0-2. And, of course, uh, ran off three in a row, uh, obviously before the Southern loss. And uh, I, I think everyone was really – I think there still is a lot of excitement and optimism. You know, I'll, I'll stand up and say, you know, I picked Alcorn to win the West. I think that – I think that is still a possibility. I think things, you know, have to break a certain way for them. But I think that possibility is still there. Uh, what, what's been the most pleasing – about the turn for Alcorn, uh, Kelvin, as, as you look at their season through the halfway point? Um, I think – so we had a game with Stephen F. Austin that was mirrored with uh, weather delays, as Drew and I experienced when we were at the MEX Rock Challenge. I do believe the fact that that game probably should have been a potential victory, which, you know, gives you a different level of confidence. Secondly, we beat McNeese State, which was a big win for us. And I think going into SWAC, that game against Stephen F. Austin, coupled with the victory at McNeese, really showed, you know, the Braves are a very, very solid team, but we're going to have to see that that expansion of that offense by the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. The play calling in that game Saturday was, um, let's just say, it it left a lot to be desired. So we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward, what adjustments they make. Um, and, and especially rolling into November 19th against the uh, Jackson State Tigers in Lorman, Mississippi. Uh, uh, before we let Kelvin get out of here, Brian, I just want to throw this out. Do you remember back in our when our preseason predictions, I said the Swack West winner was going to finish six and two at best, maybe even five and three. We are trending. We are trending in that direction because I believe everyone in the West already has a conference loss. Correct. With Alcorn, with Alcorn now losing, everybody already, everybody has at least one conference loss, and uh, there yeah. are still, there's still some head-to-head matchups in the West that still have to occur. And you are correct. Yeah, Alcorn, and let's be real. Southern and Alcorn still have Jackson State on their schedule. So <laughs> the chance – and the reason I'm saying the chance is that at, at least one of them, if not both of them, lose to Jackson State is a distinct possibility. Uh, Prairie View, do they have – Prairie View still has uh, Prairie Alcorn play, on their schedule. Prairie View plays, Prairie Jack- Prairie Prairie plays Jackson State, don't they? I don't know if they're on the uh, schedule um, this year. But – no. 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 Okay. Okay. But I know Prairie View and Alcorn. I know Prairie View and Alcorn have not played, so that's at least another loss for one of those two teams. So and we're we looking realistic at a six. We're looking realistic at a six and two, possibly five and three West champion, just based on the matchups that still have to occur. How about Texas Southern coming out of nowhere and winning the doggone thing? That would be the story of the year, right there. <laughs> Everybody that, else yeah, falls apart, and then Texas Southern <laughs> finds their way into the championship game. Four-way tie. How about that? Uh, but anyway, let's. pretty soon we'll be talking about uh, tie-breaking scenarios. I'm going to give us about two weeks, and then by the time November rolls around, we'll all be looking at what are, again, the SWAC tie-breaking zones, how many points, who has to have what. We'll be looking at all that in just a second. So, 
Uh, all right. So, I, Kelvin, are you I, Drew? I don't know, Kelvin. Are we? Are you sticking around for the grades, or you got to run? I got to run. Okay. Sounds good. Any Sounds last good. Hey, you want to get out? Yeah. Any last? Oh no. Give you hey, the last one. We got, so we got Texas Southern coming in this Saturday for homecoming at Alcorn State University. That's one of those games. They're two and two. Uh, we need them at home, so we really need that win. So that win will perpetuate us moving forward, and then I'll have to look at the logistics of what the Jackson State game might actually mean on the 19th since they're in the other side of the division. But we're looking forward to, you know, uh, Alcorn is going to close out the season strong, and it's going to be – I believe it's going to be a big win on Saturday as well as the next two games coming up. All right. Uh, Kelvin, let people know how they can uh, how they can find you if they want to reach out to you. Uh, you can reach out to me at Twitter at 06Alcorn. And uh, that's the best way to reach out to me. And that would be all day, every day that I kind of keep up with that as we manage the sports piece here in St. Louis, as well as looking at um, value to the lives of kids through strong public educational systems. All right. All right. Well, hey, uh, appreciate you taking time to come on and join us tonight. All right. All right. Have a great one. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, Kelvin Carter. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, make sure to hit him up, uh, follow him, make sure to let him know you appreciate him coming on and joining us here on the show.